You are listening to the Quite Useless Podcast. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Quite Useless Podcast. My name's Jordan Shaw. And I'm joined again by my co-host, singer-songwriter, sculptor and Stranger Things superfan, Erin Hepzibah McAvoy. Hello Jordan. How are you doing? I'm great. If we sound slightly out of breath, um, it's because we're just five minutes removed from uh, somewhat of a catastrophe in the recording studio where we are in Glasgow University's Theatre Study Department. We got locked in. <laughs> the door locked. I don't know what happened to it. Something happened with a handle um, and I had I, I part my neck from ramming myself into it. Eventually, we got it open with a with a big boot to the to the hinge, which helped rather. Um, felt really good kicking, you know, kicking you know, a door down. Like, I felt like I was in the movies, <laughs> some kind of action hero. Do you know what was the scariest thing? It's because like um, this level where we are is underground and we have no signal, and none of our yeah. phones were in here, we so had no we phones. couldn't phone anyone, and we had to rely on weak Jordan to try and open the door. I got it open. Yeah, you said weak eventually, Jordan. Eventually, like ten minutes later. We also also helping us um, get rescued from from being trapped in, in rooms and also to help us record this episode is our guest producer this week, Courtney Mackin. Who's also our guest. She's pulling double duty today. Uh, we're very grateful for her presence. Yes. So, episode two. Oh, episode two. This is the, the, the fabled difficult second episode. Obviously, you've got a lifetime to record your first podcast episode and only two weeks to record your second Oh, I have so, no idea what you were talking about the there, pres- but I just clicked on. The pressure's on this week. Yeah. Um, but we've got good stuff to talk about. Yeah, definitely. So and I think, we, you know, we set the bar quite low with the first one, so people won't be expecting anything good, really. That was very clever of us to do We that. set it low? Yeah. In what way? Well, just, I'm, I'm being I'm being self-deprecating. It wasn't that bad. But if you did happen to listen to the first episode and think, you yeah, know, it wasn't very good, uh, it was entirely intentional. We did that just to lower your expectations for the second episode. And if you listened to the first episode and quite liked it, um, I'm being ironic. Yeah, well, yeah. obviously there were issues, and there will be issues in this one, but it'll be, it, it right. will be better. It'll just get gradually better with every Yeah, we'll do, you do bear with us slightly as we uh, figure out the format. But we're very grateful for all the lovely feedback we had from people... Um, do keep it coming if you think there's things to feedback about, positive, negative, or, or neutral over the next few weeks. But we're yeah. starting to figure it out. We're starting to figure out what all the buttons do, <laughs> what things like like phantom power mean. I was reading about phantom power the other day. It's a it's a sound thing. Sounds like a ghost story. We've got Halloween. it. <laughs> I was like, do we? I was reading about this phantom power, and I was like, it sounds really important. Do we have it? And I have to look at all the boxes, and it's fine. We're we're topped up, filled to the brim with phantom power. We are. Wait, I'm just gonna say now before like, it annoys anyone like this chair I'm sitting on is so creaky so that's what you're hearing do you want to just give us a, an example okay. so if you pick that up if you hear that that it's just Em's chair we're not trapping a mouse yeah and we have no the... other chairs so we're going to make do but if I move at all it, it freaks out <laughs> Right. And I'm not a very still person. Well, we'll maybe have a break, go get some WD-40 at some point. <laughs> okay. Alright, but until then, shall we get started? Yep, on you go, let's go. Alright, let's talk about some art. <laughs> so, 
So, what uh, pieces of art have you been wrapping your eyes and ears around this week? Well, musically, I've uh, had a couple of gigs and uh, just been rehearsing and writing songs and getting ready for the ones that are coming up this weekend, but I've not really listened to any new music other than what we're talking about in today's episode. Um, TV-wise, I've been watching like X Factor and Strictly Come Dancing. I count those as art, but you could yeah, count them definitely. as reality TV or whatever way. That's Competition kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I enjoy it. My dream is to be on Strictly. Dancing, even though I can't dance. Um, Still Game. We've both been watching Still Game. Yeah, it's a new, new series of Still Game. It was quite good. I liked it. I thought it was really funny. I thought they came back with a bang. It was fun. I think it wasn't drastically different from any previous series, but I don't think it needed to be. It was it was what people wanted. I don't largely. think it should have been. No, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think it, you know, it, it, people will have been pleased with it. Um, I didn't. I wasn't that into the the sort of serious storyline that they c- tried to sort of crowbar in there with Winston's brother. I thought that just felt completely out of place and unresolved. And I don't know whether they're going to come back to it in later episodes, but that no, isn't but- a thing that they did in previous ones. It was always episodic, so. I don't know if they're just going to leave that hanging. I don't really understand why you don't get it. I think they gave you all the information that they would have given you, that they could have given you for it. Well, they, well, it was very underdeveloped and it just sort of came out of nowhere at the end. And then it wasn't really, I don't think it was really resolved. Like, his brother just, he gave his brother No, his don't, don't ruin it. We'll just Well, it's not like it. an important we... plot point, is what I'm saying. Like, it's not ruining the episode if yeah, you know about this. Yeah, but it's like giving you a bit of character, like, background for... Wilson? Is that his name? Winston? Damn it. So let me say it again. Yeah. I'm thinking about House. Sorry. <laughs> it was character, like, background for Winston. Yeah, I know. I, and that that's fine. I just think if you're going to do it, do it substantially. And they just but I think they did because it was kind of showing you, like, how he interacts with, with his brother and how, like, everyone else perceives him when he's actually this way. Hmm. Well, and then we'll even that's what... like revealing some of the character of Winston. No, I, d- I dare say that it is. It's so, revealing. in my opinion, I don't think there was anything wrong with it. I think it was overall a thing. Well, well, we'll see what they what they do with it. Certainly, um, all the, the the usual laughs were there. People getting stuck in baths and, and falling over and things like that. That's a spoiler. <laughs> Major spoiler. Um, Westworld as well is something we've got on the running order you've been watching I'm not really familiar with what this is it's um, well there's only been one episode so far the next one comes out on Friday when our podcast comes out so I'll be watching that on that day but so does Still Game the next episode of Still Game comes out on Friday too so Friday's going to be a busy night <laughs> but um, and also I have a gig so I'm not even going to be able to watch them on Friday <sighs> no so it's really good and it's based on um this film that came out in either the 70s or the early 80s where it's like this um world that these rich people have created where it's um full of like um robots who are like it's kind of like set in the west like they've made mm-hmm. this big kind of like theme park with all these robots that are like cowboys and then rich people come in and they pay to like have a experience in that and like be cowboys and stuff right, okay. and they can kill the robots and stuff and but the robots can't kill them stuff like that and um i'm not really sure about the film because i'm just like 
picking up for what I've read and what um, people have told me about it. But you should watch the series because the good, first yeah. episode was really good. Is this the first? This is the first series that's running. The first season. Yes. Yeah. Came out last Friday. I think I saw it trending on Twitter. Like I just not on Twitter on uh, on Facebook. You know they have the thing up the on the right hand side now. And I just saw Westworld and I f- assumed it was. I didn't click on it. Just assumed it was some kind of like Westlife theme park. Or something, but what it is is a lot more fun. I would much rather go to a, a cowboy themed shootout than a Westlife theme park. It's it's really like it's interesting, like because obviously the first episode is like an introduction and stuff like that. So they're giving you little tasters and little bits of information yeah. about certain things and leaving it a bit like, oh, does that mean what's that? But it's really good. And is it American? American. Yeah. Was it made in the US? Probably. With US actors. So. Probably. You don't know? No, I don't Well, I guess the, the Wild West is much more of an American thing. Uh, we've also both been to the cinema this week, uh, independently of each other, but both to see the same film. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, which is a new Tim Burton film. What did you think? I loved it. Yeah? Uh, overall, every little thing I thought was good. Like, I didn't come out of it saying... Oh, it could have been better. I just came out of it feeling happy <laughs> that I'd seen it. I'd spent that seven pound. <laughs> it's a it's a good time, you know. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed watching. It. I did, unlike you, have some issues with it, but I thought it was an enjoyable way to spend two hours, however it was. It was very nice to look at. It was mm. very Tim Burton esque, and the the visuals. The the visuals I think were the best bit about it. Just the way that it looked. Um, had all the dark, creepy elements that you would expect from a Tim Burton film. I've seen some reviewers talk about it as a sort of Tim Burton's greatest hits. That if you like Tim Burton, you will like this film. It had everything in there. One of the standout scenes, I think, was the bit where he was eating, there was an uh, eyeball eating scene, which was delightfully gruesome. Um, that was probably my favourite bit. I thought it was funny. I enjoyed it. I had some issues with the with the narrative. Um, it was a sort of time travel story which um, can have a lot of problems when you're trying to, you know, in terms of plotting, it's quite difficult to do a story, a time travel story, and make it still sort of narratively satisfying. Uh, I think it's quite important to sort of set up your own rules um, and then to adhere to them. And I'm not sure entirely how well the film did that. I thought there were times where maybe the audience would, would have been lost. Certainly that was the case with some audience members that I spoke to. There were times where they didn't quite know where they were, where in time they were, and how they were getting from different bits of time. No, I'm sorry, I know. Like, I understand like that's your opinion, but in my opinion, and the people I spoke to, like I know you're talking about you spoke to your family and I spoke to my family, uh-huh. and um, there was no issue with the understanding of like where they were in time. Like... We were talking about this, me and you, um, a couple of days ago, because we were talking about like what we were going to talk about, how we were going to yeah. discuss this whole time thing. And um, I'm pretty sure the only the reason like you're freaking out about it, and the reason I'm, I'm not, not freaking out about like, it, like I, that's like maybe a strong use, but like of like words. But the reason you're getting a bit, I don't know, confused about it, and I'm not, is probably because we have like two different ways of thinking about things. Like, obviously, you're creative, but you have more of an academic mind. Mm. Like, you're a logical thinker, like, with all these big words and stuff. And I am the complete opposite of that. Like, and I was, like, creative mind, I guess you could say. But 
I think that's why we understand it differently, and you're looking at it linear, and I'm not. Yeah, I don't know whether you're perhaps more willing to sort of jump into to the world of the film and just sort of let it take you where it will. Yeah, Whereas I did probably. find myself when I was watching it, I was analysing every bit of it and trying to, to keep a track on where we were. I and although I managed to do that, it, I thought it was difficult. And if you weren't really, really paying attention or, no, like but you I said, weren't really... your issue. I think you're trying to pay attention and that's why you don't necessarily understand. Like, because I'm not a logical, analytical thinker and I'm just going in there with the expectation of seeing Finley on the big who's screen. Who's your cousin who's in the film, yeah. And I was excited for that. So I'm going in, sitting down, not knowing anything about the story and just letting it yeah. like, consume me in that way and then just going wherever it takes me. Whereas you're trying to understand and I'm yeah, not. Well, certainly and I think that, that's what that it is. That might be a, a key to, to enjoying the film. Just go in there and don't think about it too much. Like, and just let... Apparently a restart is required on my PC, if you heard that noise. Um, yeah, if you go in and uh, don't don't try and think about it too much, like I did, just uh, enjoy the way it looks, um, and the way it looks is probably the most outstanding part of it. Yeah. I thought the, there was like the animation in it as well. Like, it, although it was a, it was a live action film, but it included some animated bits. Like the fight scene at the end was quite a standout scene. I thought. Aaron's frowning at me and saying, "Where was the animation?" No, I'm trying to work and out that, if you if by animation you mean like CGI. Yeah, I do. I mean CGI. All right, okay, so like, that's under the same um, thing. Okay. And I thought that was done quite well. Uh, I thought that scene looked really good. Although I've seen some reviewers say that they didn't think it was good, but I thought I was, thought it was funny. Yeah, I, I, thought it was really I good really scene. enjoyed that part. That part was really smart to me. Like CGI skeletons. Yeah. And there was a little there was a stop motion scene as well, which was quite nice. When? It was where your cousin Finley, who was playing Enoch, oh, okay. Um, Enoch's power was that he could uh, sort of reanimate the dead or just the non-living. He could animate inanimate objects. Yeah. There was a little fight scene that he orchestrated That's between funny. some dolls. Um, it was all really quite nice. It was a sort of a visual greatest hits for Tim Burton. I would agree <laughs> with that, and it's good if you just go in there. Not. It's a film that's sort of aimed at a young audience, so it's. Um, yeah, but older Don't audiences kind like of appreciate. Apart, I know, but even that, like, I think, yeah, when you're watching something, you just naturally kind of analyse it a little bit. Mm. So as soon as, like, I seen the skeletons and, like, that whole fight scene thing, it reminded me of, um, what's it called? Jason and the Argonauts? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the skeleton fight scene in that. Uh-huh. So I guess that's kind of me analysing it. And when I was, like, watching it in Enoch, is like, um, bringing inanimate objects to life and stuff and then it talks about the dead peculiar victor yes. and how he can sometimes bring him life did you not immediately make the connection of like Vin- victor frankenstein uh i didn't no so, uh, like, that's but i like, suppose yeah there's definitely a, a so i made a, like a those there. different connections so i guess i'm kind of analyzing it but i'm not going in with the intention of right, how did I feel about that? How did that look? Blah, blah. Whereas I think that's your issue and you should just kind of like scrap that whenever you go in to watch something. Don't think about how you're going to react to it. Just watch it and let it consume. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know that it's, it's useful to, to turn that off or, or even if I could, if I, if I wanted to. But I think uh, uh, you should be able to go into whether it's a piece of theatre or a film or even like a concert. And to be able to, to look at it from a critical point of view, um, and that you know a good piece of work should stand, yeah, I'm not should saying, stand up to that. I'm not saying that I didn't look at it 
from a critical point of view I did and I liked it like ooh. <laughs> the lights just flickered <laughs> stranger things are happening <laughs> no, no what was the scene damn what was I saying? About, the, you know, going into it with a critical point of view, whether yeah. that is the best like, way to... Obviously, I'm going in with the, like, kind of in the back of my head, um, am I going to like this, blah, 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 what's it about? Like, thinking about all these things. So I'm kind of, like, analysing it in the back of my head, mm-hmm. whereas I think you're analysing it in the front of your head, and that's why you're not necessarily enjoying something that another person who's not got that critical, I mean... Well, it, it's not the case that I, uh, that I didn't enjoy it. I did. I just felt that they could have made the the plot was not the plot and the script in general um i didn't think were the strongest part of it but it was i i, I enjoy the film um and the, the sort of visual elements and the way it looked kind of overrided the the weaknesses that i found my one big criticism was it was a bit long yeah like, i understand why it was that long but i kind of felt like maybe there were some scenes where i could have like brought it in a bit like shortened it even just some things like that. Yeah, I felt that they could have used the time better. Like as you said, it was quite long. And third act, in particular, felt over long. And you know, almost all of the characters in the thing, I thought, felt underdeveloped. Like there wasn't a lot of room. Like Eva Green, who played Miss Peregrine, uh, she was very good, but she just she didn't have a lot to do with her role. Um, Judy Dench as well was in it and did marvelously, but she had pretty. She didn't have much to, much room to stretch herself. Um, yeah. Even the you know the peculiar children a lot of them they kind of felt like chess pieces um you know they were they were there for the plot um without they, none of them were given a whole lot of personality but a couple of them were yeah. but otherwise they were they were kind of there as plot devices so i feel like it maybe could have used its, its time better but it was good fun one thing that i thought just to finish up that i thought was particularly interesting about the film was just how dark it was you know it was a 12a and it it felt like a film that was aimed for younger audiences really not only younger audiences younger audiences but inclusive of them but it was really really dark and really really gruesome um and i think most directors would have taken things out would have compromised slightly on that darkness in order to get the pg rating and get perhaps a bigger audience there were pretty good jump scares in it yeah that actually gave you a fright well the eye boss scene was pretty creepy and the fact that the the grandpa uh, who, oh, yeah. who was like he was kind of considered a sort of role model and he was looked up to in the film was essentially a, a killer you know he went <laughs> and oh, killed people were, that was his job I thought you were going to say the other thing like who we were talking about how the character Emma was kind of his sweetheart yeah and that, then Jake who's Abe's grandson like goes and has like sort of the same connection with her and yes. they kind of skim over that but it's kind of weird like, yeah, it was kind of. I think it's a bigger thing in the book. Yeah, they have the same taste. Yeah. In Giddle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she's she's very pretty, but yeah, that's slightly odd. I know, but I it's suppose. just that it's the same one. She didn't seem to have much of an issue with that. Actually, now look at it. She at no point did she seem to find it weird that she had uh, had a sort of romantic dalliance with both the grandfather and the grandson. Maybe it's not that peculiar. <laughs> Perhaps not. No. Mm. So uh, just to just to round up on this segment, if you had a. If, if you had a peculiarity, or what peculiarity would you like to have? I'd like to have. Well, people have said this, like, when we came out of the cinema, I was with my family, and we were talking about what we would have, and um, they were saying, because um, I'm, like, an insomniac and I don't sleep, that would be my peculiar... Peculiarity. Thank you. 
um, that I would just never have to sleep, so I'd have all this time. And I would have, I would happily take that as long as I didn't get tired. Yeah, that would be pretty good actually. Yeah, you would almost like double your life back. Mm. Not quite double, but I could learn to do so much. I know. What about you? What What would you want? Well, you know, you make a you make a good case for that one. I I quite like to be invisible or something. Oh no, I'd like to be able to turn it on and off. There was an invisible boy in the film, but he was permanently invisible. So like Violet, I'd like to be Incredibles. Yeah. I'd like to be her. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Alright, let's move on to the news segment. Okay. It's the segment everyone has been waiting for. Are you going to go? Do you want me to do the pips? No. I hate this chair. I'm gone. That seems like a bit much. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't sure. I know that last week I looked it up and I did one less boop than I'm supposed to. And I don't know whether I overcompensated this week. Probably. <laughs> um, I listened to it on the radio this morning and I should have paid more attention. But anyway. I think we should come up with something different <laughs> for, for hours. It. Like, you know. So the first have, item of news. Have like a drum solo. Sorry, go on. Are you, do you want to announce it? Oh. Turner Prize is here. Yes. Again. The Turner Prize <laughs> exhibition has opened at Tate London. Um, we're actually going to try and go down and see it. Yeah, we're going to pop down. So we we probably won't talk about it in too much detail this week. We'll yeah. save that for It'll, when we actually see it. Yeah, we'll have a lot more to talk about when we go down. Of course, we've only seen some of the pictures, which you yeah. can get yourself if you go on the Thunder Prize website. But this year's nominees are Michael Dean, Anthea Hamilton, Helen Martin and Josephine Pride. From the pictures, do you have a favourite? Uh, I do. I think, yeah. There's one, that, well, there's one that sort of jumps out at me as being what I really, really want to go and see. Uh, and that's probably Helen Martin's. Which is made up of like found objects, and it's sort of mashing together images from from different places, different spaces. Um, yeah. I don't know quite what to make of it, but it looks just visually very interesting. See, that sounds like that sounds so interesting to me as well. But I like I like the idea of all of them. But I think I would have to be in the space and be surrounded oh, yeah, by absolutely. what it is to actually get a real um, sense for what one. Uh, mm want to win I guess <laughs> one that, that should be interesting to experience is the one that is being used on all the advertisements for the Sonner Prize uh, <laughs> it's a great uh, gilded bottom by uh, uh, that's Anthea Hamilton's yes um, yeah you, you it's a imagine. giant sorry go on gold posterior <laughs> it's so huge that you can walk under you can walk between the legs under the cheeks you can imagine all of the pictures tourist photos people will be taking oh, inside yeah. that it'd be so much fun apparently you're encouraged to take photos on the exhibition and stuff yeah because you want people to, to document it but that looks interesting it should be interesting to walk under that and giggle did you see last year's Turner Prize I didn't actually no it was, it was in, in Glasgow was of in course I, know, I was very busy I didn't get to see it I, I kept an eye on it I did this course and it was a week course and it was basically all about the um, Turner Prize yeah, so, we were, so we were in the tramway and we we were there for five days and uh, we went down to see the Turner Prize exhibition at least three times a day so I was <laughs> way too familiar with all of the the work there and I was oh. it after a while like every day you went down with a different like thought in your head about why they did it like what was their subject matter why did they like set it up in the room this way like why did they create it like that stuff like that 
and um so every single day you went down and looked for a different thing so it was okay in that sense but i was way too familiar with it mm. like i could like see it in my dream but like, i could walk in and know exactly where everything should be that's quite interesting to be able to see it to, to have seen it that often and have your opinion of it develop did you find that what you thought of it changed the, the 10th time you've seen it as compared to the first time yes because you had a favorite and then you went down and on the third day you had a a different favorite and right. it was completely different who, who did you who, what was the favorite you finished on of course the winners of of last year's surprise was assemble yes they, that was so good like, especially when you went in and you could see everything that they'd, they'd made mm-hmm. this was a large it was amazing group I want, yeah i wanted project. to buy half the stuff <laughs> in there it was amazing you could just walk in and be like someone made that with their hands yeah. especially because it was like they used um like rubble or something did they not use the rubble? I don't know, I didn't see it. Yeah, that kind of rings a bell though from, from reading about it. Yeah. Um, to rebuild like the houses and stuff. But it was amazing because they'd like um, set it up to look like a house as well. So. Another smart. one that looks quite interesting this week is, is Michael Dean's piece. I've listened to a, a thing about that on the radio. About um, the pennies? Yes, the pennies. How many is it exactly? It's, um, like is it 23,000? 20,000 20, something. It's it's about twenty thousand pounds worth of pennies. Of pennies minus one penny every time he installs the exhibit, he takes away one penny, and it's to that twenty thousand pound figure is the is the poverty line. Oh. If you're under that, you're in poverty according to the government's definition. So when you go into the into the space and see those pennies, that is the exact amount that qualifies you. That must be so heavy. Poverty. Yeah, I was wondering how does he get all those pennies. And what does he do with them after the? I would like to see, like, a kind of time lapse of them curating that. Of yeah, space just making the... because it would just be empty, and then you can just imagine all these people coming and pouring pennies everywhere. That'd What's be interesting. also quite interesting about that piece is you can't do it in this installation and in the Tate, but when he's had it elsewhere, you've been allowed to walk on the pennies just you know walk along because they could take up a good bit of room but for health and safety you can't do it that would be i think obviously like health and safety and stuff but i think because you can't walk on them anymore you're kind of missing a part of it yeah definitely um i think that would have been really interesting but obviously people might steal as well you have to think about that they might they're probably better things to steal i mean that's yeah it's not very practical still people like in the um I'm forgetting the artist names from last year. I feel really bad, but you know the one. Well, I don't know if you'll know it, but there was it was like a room, and there was books all the way around. Yes. I think one book was stolen. Oh really? Yeah. So. I did hear a story of uh, my friends. Friends had gone into the gone into the exhibition of uh, you know the coats on chairs. Yes. And started trying them on. <laughs> That's bad. And people got very cross. I thought that was quite cool. I thought like if I had if I was the artist had done that exhibition, I'd quite like people to, to interact with it in that way. But apparently well, the security were less impressed. Uh, well it depends on if you want people to interact yeah. with it or not. Plus I was pretty sure she'd sewn them to the chair. No? I don't know. I didn't see it. How do you sew something to, to wood? No, it was like um it had fabric bits on the chair. Right, okay. But well, maybe she sewed them to the chair after that happened. Probably. Uh, and also, we haven't mentioned, oh, sorry, pro- probably because it's the one that I know least about, is Josephine Pride, mm-hmm. um, which incorporates a little, like a model train Yeah. Set. I think it's bigger than a model train set, it isn't pr- it? It probably is. I can't really get a feel for how big it is. Yeah, because we've just seen the it photos. in the photos. 
But yeah, it looks like a good exhibition. It's certainly getting good reviews. Mm. They said that it really feels like a, an exhibition. You're walking through it and there's a lot of I ideas think and things. last year's felt like an exhibition as well. Well, it was an exhibition. Yeah. I know, but they're saying like this one feels like an exhibition, a real one, all that. I think last year was good. See, um, I feel so bad, can't remember their names. And Tell we can't even get it me. up no. on the internet, it's so terrible. But you can look them up. But um, the one where it's like she'd incorporated opera singers uh-huh yeah yeah oh. that was my favorite i wanted that one to win because like i w- we were there every day so we it was like um they came on like 12 and then again at two to like do a performance mm-hmm. and then the one that was on the friday i think was all of them because sometimes they just did um certain songs and that was only a couple of them there were six per six um opera singers three uh, girls and three guys i think and um, it was amazing on the Friday because they had all of them there and they performed all of the songs. It was just amazing. It was so good. I, c- I would pay to listen to it again. <laughs> I wish I could have. I wish I could go back in time and see those. I wish I'd fitted in the time because the exhibition's off for months. Um, this one, this one, uh, I think it should be wrapping up in January. I think they award the, pr- yeah, the prize in December. I think it's December the fifth. Yeah, yeah um, December the 5th is when they are going to announce So if you fancy winner. popping down or if you already live in London and want to pop over, it sounds pretty good. I'm looking forward to going to see it. Yes. Um, also on news, we have a, a second item of news this week, equally important. Um, <laughs> Live action Disney. Well, yeah, it's kind of a mix of news items, but there's been, obviously Disney at the moment um, are getting very into remaking their old animated films as live action versions. I don't know why. Like, I understand... Like there is a difference between animation and like live action, but I prefer the animation. Well, I'll, I I oh mean just to give an example, I don't you know prefer live action to animation in general, but yeah, I don't prefer it. I but don't have an opinion. There is something like that reminds me of childhood about watching an animation, well, especially these like, films are older. Yeah, you I watch know. them when you were a child. I know. But especially all the Disney ones, because, like, see, yesterday I was uh, in watching my sister and I watched, like, t- both the Bambies. There are two. There are two. The second one is. Is, is that a direct video sequel? I don't know. I but the second is. one is just as good as the first one. It's like the second Tarzan. I really like the second Tarzan as well. Well, I think, you know, they remade. That was my chair that time. Mm. Uh, they remade uh, John Favreau was the director of the new Jungle Book that but that remade. was amazing See, it was amazing I thought it was better on the first I'm one I'm having like a weird reaction to it because obviously I'm like oh I don't know if it will be the same but it's just as good but in a different way yeah definitely I thought it was better that one in particular um, mm-hmm. I but, liked um, oh who was it who was she who? Scarlet Ka. Scarlet Scarlett Scarlet Johansson. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, but it was just like floating around. My she wasn't head. in it that much, but she was. She but was still, good. I thought it was really good. I thought I just it was as well. good to cast her the as Kat. Yeah. Um, but the John Favreau who directed uh, that Jungle Book is now directing. Uh, he's been signed on to do a live-action Lion King. See, that's the one I'm worried about. It does make one ask exactly what you know does does live-action mean because. The Lion King is a film that has no humans in it. Yeah. So, in what sense is it really live, act- live action? It's got to be all CGI. I know, but even... Unless they're going to get real lions. Yeah, I know, but even that, it's going to be so weird. But I'm looking forward to it. That was my childhood favourite. I watched Lion King over and over and over again. Exactly. Everyone loves the Lion it's King. Wonderful. 
I don't know how they're going to do it. That was one that, that, I mean, everyone does love it, but it was, they were making it at the same time as Pocahontas. Oh, yeah, and, you were talking about this yesterday. Yeah, because <laughs> Pocahontas was on the telly. Um, but they uh, Disney thought that Pocahontas was going to be the big hit and therefore assigned all the sort of B-class animators to the Lion King. And you can get them see it watching the Lion King. The animation isn't quite as good as, as Pocahontas, but it's just a better film. Like, the music's incredible. And, Oh, have you, like, this, um, because there's all this, uh, talk about, uh, The Lion King being made into live action, there's, mm. um, stuff coming out about Kimba, the white lion. Yeah. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it, but I, I well, I've not, it. I've not seen it, but have you seen the stuff about it? That they allegedly ripped off uh-huh. Kimba. And when they show you, like, things from Kimba, it's, like, the same. It's and it's, like... Egregious <gasps> similarities, yeah. Yeah. Just I have read about that and I I can't bring myself to, to generate it. no I, I believe it but I just don't I can't generate any antipathy towards them for creating The Lion King which is one of my, my favourite films so I'm happy to turn a blind eye to. I could watch it again and again and again, again I have I have indeed uh, I mean another, in the one day another favourite Disney film uh, Mulan I actually love Mulan yeah it's also being remade into a, into a live action version they're currently on a worldwide be, search for someone to play Milan I think that'll be good live action well we'll see because you can imagine all the fighting and stuff because it is yeah. human yeah well it's all humans yeah, yeah so. I don't think it could definitely work I've got a good uh, they're currently looking for a, a Milan a Chinese actress to play Milan but uh, I've, I know someone who, who would be a wonderful Mushu um, me? no <laughs> my great uncle um, he's in his sixties, which might you think that might make him uh, unsuitable for the role. But he once turned up at Christmas a couple of years ago uh, with a tattoo of Mushu on his face, um, just taking up his his right cheek. Is um, and we didn't know him up until that point to be a particular fan of Milan. He'd never really mentioned it, um, but he's already got it on his face, so it would sort of save save the work. They wouldn't need to draw it. It's always there. Do you think they'd make Mushu a person and not a tiny dragon? I think they'd make him a tiny dragon, yeah. Uh, yeah, they should definitely Surely. keep him a wee a little tiny dragon. Whether it'll be a voice by Eddie Murphy, I don't know. I we'll think they should definitely keep it Eddie Murphy. Do you think they'll keep it a sort of comedy? I think feel? they should. I don't know if they will, but I think they should because Mushu and Donkey are some of my favourite characters in yeah. animation ever. Yeah, comedy sidekicks, yeah. I could be a comedy sidekick. And finally, a news that's come out this week for Disney, because we could talk for ages about Disney's live-action ones, but we'll, we'll concentrate mm. on this week. They've announced uh, Aladdin. Live-action Aladdin. I love Aladdin. And you've not seen Aladdin? I haven't actually seen Aladdin. I've seen one of the sequels, uh, like the Arabian Nights or something. They're not good. They're, I'm not saying they're not good, <laughs> but they're it as not a kid, the same. They're not the same. But what what's curious about this film... Um, so they're going to make Be the Genie? No, that's not what I was going to say, but yes, that's something to think about. Um, I don't know. Yeah, who are they going to make be the genie? How how do you follow? How do you follow Robin Williams? I don't know. You can't. You can't. It would be difficult. Um, but the director, difficult. I felt, was an odd decision. It's Guy Ritchie, of <laughs> Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and and Snatch and things. Uh, so Aladdin will presumably be played by Jason Statham. <laughs> My mum is a teacher in her school. One year it was years and years and years ago, but her school pantomime one year was. A laddie. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so good. That sounds brilliant. Maybe they can could revisit the cast of that production. I know. For the new one. A laddie. Too good. I thought it was funny. Right, let's move on. That wraps up the newest segment for this week. Hold on, let me pause. I need to move my leg because I'm getting serious, like, pins and needles kind of thing. Okay. Oh. Okay, so it's...
This week has also seen the release of uh, an album that I've been looking forward to for a very long time. Um, it was Regina Spector's Remember Us to Life. It's the follow-up to 2012's What We Saw from the Cheap Seats. She's had a, a four-year radio silence, uh, interrupted only slightly when she did the the soundtrack, the, the theme song to Netflix's Orange is New Black, She's You've Got Time. But otherwise, we've and heard nothing. And she's on Kubo? Um, she did, soundtrack? yeah. She's also done Kubo on the Two Strings. Um why song. my guitar gently weeps Beatles cover it's very good yeah it's my favorite song right now yeah it's nice um well let's play a bit here's uh why my guitar gently weeps by your region inspector My favourite bit is where it like the guitar comes in with the little like twiddly bit after mm-hmm. the first like line. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> um but she's also released her own album full of original music. Um which is equally as great. So yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, we're, so we're going to go through and talk about that. Um, okay. What did you think in general then? You thought it was pretty good? I thought, in my opinion, there were high points and there were weak points, but mm-hmm. overall loved it. I thought it was a really great album. And um, I'm trying to like, um, think about it compared to some of her other albums. Yeah, well, if you're familiar with Regina Spector's work, there was a sort of period uh, when she started her career where she was sort of very raw. Um, she, she had a sort of, in her first album, was was called Eleven Eleven. It was a sort of weird, surrealist jazz album. And then she moved on to Songs, which is sort of kooky, anti-folk, as it was pegged at the time. Just sort of weird, idiosyncratic melodies and, and vocal ticks and things. And then she sort of consolidated that on Soviet Kitsch, which was, it kind of brought together all those elements as probably... Her, her best album, in my opinion. Um, and then in 2006, she released Begin to Hope, and there was a real change in her sound where she moved into a more sort of polished. That's the produced. one that Samson is on yes. and stuff. And like it's that. the one that people will, if you've heard of Gene Spector's song, it's probably off of that post 2006 period. She became a lot more, not quite radio friendly, because she still retained all those sort of idiosyncratic yeah. vocal elements um, and, and the structure of her songs, but it was just a bit more polished. She, began to bring in more instruments and you can kind of see that on that album I think on this album sorry see it as popular as like Samson is mm. and the other one begins with an A Fidelity yes I always want to say fiddly don't know why and that's wrong and I know I know it's wrong but as popular as those two are like if I over listen to them they like, they annoy me yeah well that's the same with anything that you over listen to they're pretty, pretty good songs um, I know but I can over listen to some of her other stuff mm-hmm. and feel fine about it like my favorite one that i've completely over listened to but still love is all the robots yeah that's off her. of 2012's what we saw from the cheap seats yes that's pretty good that not hugely radio friendly that one mm, but that's that's my favorite <laughs> she, she does kind of although she's moved into this more produced period she does sort of retain those elements from her early career and i think that's one example where she's she's polished it up a little mm-hmm. um and you can kind of see the best and worst of that decision to move uh, from the rawness of her early career in the, on this album. Um, 
But Bleeding Heart, that is the first the first song on the album, and it was the first single from the album. Uh-huh. I think it's a pretty good introduction to the record. I like it. I, I like it as a first song as well. Yeah. I think it's a really fun start. Very lively, very dynamic. Yeah. And See, it's got a sort of electronic sound, which you've never mm-hmm. heard her, never heard her do before. Like, that, that was what confused me, because th- did this one not come out as a single before the album? Yeah, that was the first single. So, like, I heard it. And um, just because on Spotify it's all shuffle, so I didn't know it was a new one. So I immediately thought it was one of our older ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know why. It just well, when I heard felt... it, I thought, you know, because I heard it before, yeah. it was the first thing of, of the album that came out. I thought, oh, this is interesting. Maybe she's moving into a more electronic sound. It just felt younger to me. Like all of her other. Like she's talking about stuff that's mature and her lyrics are mature and all of that, but it felt younger than all of her other stuff, which has mm. got a bit of a serious kind of moment. Well, it's, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, so she can be very serious and she can be very not serious. Like she has one song, uh, Reading Time with Pickle, which is about reading while eating pickles. And that, that is what it's about, that's it. So she can be very, very serious and then very, very not serious. Um, I know, but I'm, I'm not meaning like what it's about, I'm meaning like sound mm-hmm. yeah well it's definitely a slightly different sound but it's not one that carried on I don't think through the album no. she didn't pick up that electronica sound um, like in track 2 maybe she just wanted to try it dip into yeah, it yeah oh she she does that she's very much a, a musical magpie she That's picks fun. up different bits of, of different things but I thought it was a really really yeah it was good, a very good start, start excellent yeah and it was a really good display of her voice I thought mm-hmm. she gets to do a lot um, vocally on the, on the song people were saying like it kind of makes you nostalgic for like being a teenager and it kind of does it makes like when you listen to it you can it kind of brings you back to that kind of like tween age like 12 13 does it not bring you back to that it's not something that i was aware of when i listened to it why do you think that it does that or how do you think that it does that i think it's just the weird upbeat kind of i don't know how to explain it i don't know how to use my words but that's how it makes me feel it makes me feel 12 in in a sense yeah it just, certainly doesn't make me feel sad. It makes me feel quite happy. And I think I felt quite happy when I was 12. So Plus, it's kind of about that teen awkwardness thing. Like, you know... Never, never mind your bleeding heart. Bleeding no, it's heart. talking about like not being able to like, fit in a crowd mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's kind of about that teen awkwardness and the... Like, what it sounds like makes me think of being 12. Even though that's not the kind of music I listened to when I was 12. That was just what everyone else did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and track two then um, is a bit of a different sound but equally equally good I think uh, Older and Taller the song is called and it has a really beautiful arrangement you like this one I really do like this one yeah it kind of reminded me of sort of Ben Folds late production the kind of instrumentation on his albums it was lots of violins and stuff and um, who's Ben Folds Ben Folds he's a Folds. musician uh, known in the 90s for his work in Benfolds 5. Uh, he's also worked with Regina Spector. They recorded a song called um, You Don't Know Me, which is very good. I'll send it to you. You can also look it up, get it on YouTube. It's a very good song. Okay. Um, but it kind of reminded me of some of his work because, I don't know, but one of the concerns that I've had about Le- Regina Spector's late work and also on this album is when she can, she can bring in all these instruments and it can kind of just become a sort of musical mash and you can't, it just kind of loses its loses its impact. But this one, all the instruments are really clear. The instruments work really nicely together. Um, it's beautifully produced. There's a lovely little melody on it. 
Um, I think it's an excellent song. I think it's like, um, so I liked it, mm-hmm. and it does um, sound quite Regina Spectory, but um, I, I didn't like enjoy it to the point where I think you enjoyed it. Like I've wrote down here in my wee notes that it's like easy listening. Yeah, I was good with that. Like, but it doesn't really like click anything inside me when I listen no, to it. No, no, I know what you mean. I think it's a very well-made song, mm-hmm. if not. I think you it's know, extraordinary. good. I think it's good, and I think she's smart with her lyrics. But I think she's smart with her lyrics in every song. Mm. Yeah, her lyrics are excellent. Always excellent. They they continue to be excellent. So I think you can say the same um, about Grand Hotel, which is track three. Actually, I like that one. I but like it as well, but I it's was... not something. It's not. Whoa, this is. Yeah. This is weird. You know, it's very, very much sort of traditional Regina. I think it's certainly what it she's does, been doing. It does. It sounds like her. But recently. I was um, reading some of the other um, reviews on her album, and for some reason, I read about four or five, and they always skipped this song. Yeah. And the only person that did talk about it said that she wasn't really talking about anything. She was just creating all this imagery for no reason. And well, I was like. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily fair. I understand why people have skipped it slightly. It's not. No, but I don't think if you had to skip a song, I would not skip this one. No, because it's got a really nice sound. Um, just a very rich sort of full piano sound that has a sort of soft, it feels lilting like... melody. But what is really interesting if you listen to it, the the lyrics are really quite dark. Yeah. Um, and they contrast with the quite sort of nice yeah, sounding. creating all this weird imagery. It's about a tunnel that leads I, you down to hell. And I really, really like the like obvious obviously all of our songs have like this storytelling element but i think this one has a really like yeah. obvious storytelling kind of thing and i just imagine she's kind of like telling us a folk tale in a sense and yeah she's i think that's very, why i like it like i like all that like she's a sort of raconteur yeah like all that fairy tale kind of thing but that i like that so i don't know why people are skipping it no it's good definitely mm-hmm. don't skip it uh, and track track four was the the second single from the album uh, Small Bills built at the SN Bills with a, a dollar sign. I really like this one. It's good. I it's do. kind of MIA esque. Mm-hmm. It's got it's, a sort of she's almost rapping on it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like something she's not do. really singing. It doesn't feel like something she'd do, and I think that's why I like it. I don't know. It, it kind of does feel like something she'd yeah. do, and as much as she kind of does lots of different things. You know, there's a song on Toby Catch. Um, Poor little rich boy, where she's kind of doing a sort of speaking sing while banging a drumstick on a chair for the the beat. Mm-hmm. And this one also is kind of speaking rap esque, and it's very percussive. And well, I've not heard the you haven't heard that one. one. You must listen to that one. You must listen no. to the whole of Soviet Kitsch. I think it's our best I need album. To it's really go back excellent. and look at our earlier album. But that's quite an interesting, an interesting one. It was like well, those were the two. Bleeding Heart and Small Bells were the first two singles. And listening to them, you think, "Oh, she's really going in a new direction with this." I think that's fun, though. I think she did that for a reason. Picked those but two. It, yeah, but it, it's not the case that the album is all like those two. Those are very much they stick out. I think, like overall, the album's really weird. It kind of starts off in this. Obviously, there are songs in it that are like slower, mm-hmm. but it starts off in like a kind of upbeat kind of sense and then it goes to a kind of slower pace yeah it? certainly towards the end obviously we'll get to that but I think it's it, kind of like I think it peters out slightly yeah it kind of reminds me of like if you're doing a dance and you have all this sta- stamina and then at the end you're just exhausted <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> she ran out of breath yeah um well track five black and white is I think a song that we both agree 
is probably the weakest. I, I, I didn't like it. I kind of feel like other people will like it, but I don't like it. And I think it's kind of a filler, and I think that's why it's in the middle. Hmm, yeah. It's, you know? it just, the pace is slow, and it feels like it just drags, and it's so sort of insipid, and... It's very sugary. It just, yeah. yeah it just feels sort of lifeless, like the... It's got, it's like Older and Taller, it has all these instruments, but unlike Older and Taller, they don't feel clear, they just feel like a, a, a mash of the. What I did say kind of about it is, because it's kind of like ballady, and when I was listening to it, my first initial reaction was, it immediately reminded me of the song Hopelessly Devoted to You mm-hmm. from Greece, just because it's that kind of like... Um, I don't know how it yeah, is to describe that is, it. That noise you just made sums it up quite well. Yeah. But that is immediately... It's not a terrible song, it's just... No, I'm not saying it's a terrible song. Nothing to write home but about. But I just... It wasn't my favourite. But I think we can compare it to track six of The Light, um, which is also a piano-led song which I think is possibly the best song on the album. The first thing I said about this song was it feels very Regina. Yeah, she does have, on her album, she does tend to have one sort of piano ballad that's really emotive. It was How on her last album, which was one of the big singles. Um, And in this one, I think it's, it's The Light. And it's kind of the opposite of Black and White. It's very, very simple. Everything's very clear. There's the voice and the piano some sort of they work beautifully together and then there's sort of other elements that she brings in subtly just to, to reinforce but they don't overpower what she's saying um, and I always I don't know I just feel not that many songs do this to me but when I listen to it I just feel sort of emotion welling up yeah, in me it really see, does something to you that so I was um, listening to all the songs and then while I'm listening I write about it mm. like as soon as it's finished write immediately what it made me feel and uh, I've got here that it feels like a song that would lead to an epiphany hmm. or something like yeah, that. Well, it's called The Lights. Yeah, know. it would just kind of... Because it's so sweet and you, and when you're listening to it, you just feel so detached. So it feels like you could just be sitting somewhere and then you just have like an epiphany. Hmm. Or, or like. I, I'd love to hear it live. Wouldn't that be good? Let's I play a bit that, of it. Let's play I a bit of it on its own. It must be so powerful when yeah. it's live. Okay, here it is on its own. Um, we won't talk and inter- interrupt it. This is the, <laughs> the light track six off of uh, Remember Me. Re- Remember Us to Life. The light comes shining in my eyes. 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 So many stories. I think that's one of the best songs in the album. But your favourite song in the album is the next one, track seven, The Trapper and the Furrier. I love it. Yeah. I, I really, 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 really... As soon as it started, like, you know how when you have a feeling? Like, that was a feeling I got as well, it soon as it started. Well, it opens a cappella that's just our voice. I know. Um, I wrote... Which is a nice way to follow up the light, yeah. I thought. I wrote, like... Um, when I was thinking about it at the start obviously it's acapella and then um, she's kind of like slurring and falling into like our words just ever so slightly so she kind of sounds a bit drunk mm-hmm. but then she gets like clearer when like the like piano and stuff comes in it is a very interesting sound it reminded me you know uh, with the lyrics as well yeah. are very political it reminded me of the work to work of uh, Brecht and Kurt Weill um, 
with the sound like in, in um, Thripney Opera, it's very uh, sort of almost sinister. You know, you've got these marching piano chords and these screeching violins um, and the drums sort of out of sync with everything. It feels quite manic and quite sinister and quite it makes you feel slightly. I love it. Slightly I uncomfortable. Really, really like it. I was um, uh, listening to it and I was just like. I was listening to it on my phone so mm. obviously that's not powerful enough but the song is really powerful so imagine you just had these big speakers or imagine it live or imagine it in earphones and you're just sitting there I can imagine it would feel yeah would, oh, the way it's put together yeah. is excellent all those instruments work mm-hmm. marvellously together I enjoyed it it's, su- it's such a contrast to the light um, it is it's really quite sinister and and uh, political and, and anti-capitalist and things like that. Says something. She doesn't do a lot of political work. I'm trying to think of what she's done before. Um, I don't know. There's the one. There's laughing with, which is about God. I like that one a lot. Yeah, it sort of imagines God at a cocktail party to ask. I think it's like why? Why do bad things happen? It was in the just world so All smart. The, the big question. Like, see, the first time you listen to it, you're just like, oh my God, it's so smart. Mm. And see, it's very good. Yeah. All of our songs, like when you first hear them, you're just like, "That's so smart." <laughs> what? But Why? she doesn't often go into such uh, explicitly political work as she does on the Trapper and the Furrier. Yeah. But it was an interesting. Uh, she seems to be playing around and having quite a bit of fun on this album. I think, going into lots of different areas. Play around with everything. Yeah. Um, track eight then, Tornado Land. I really like the name of this one, and that makes me want <laughs> to like it yeah. more than I do. I like it. It's, it's not like, amazing. I like it enough, but I wish it was as good as its name. It sounds like something she would have made on Far, which was her uh, album that came out in 2009. That's a good, al- that's a good album. It is a good album. It's got, you know, fa- fa- quite pacey piano, um, and the vocals are, you know, quite dynamic. They, she gets to do a lot with them. Um, it's a good song. It's, it's I think the best thing about this song is the fact that it's kind of like an experimental poem. Like that kind of thing, right? It's like that kind of like um, the human mind and how it like processes and stuff like that. Like I like the premise. I like what's about. I like the name of it. I just wish all of that matched this. How good the song was. Mm-hmm. This is, I think, after the Sharper and the Furrier, um, is when the album starts to dip, dip slightly as as it's coming towards the end. Um, yeah, I feel like that's when. If you're talking about the stamina thing, that's kind of where it kind of mm. starts to um, disappear. And that might be perhaps something to do with, with track nine, Obsolete, which is the longest song on the album. It's about six and a half minutes. Um, and it's pretty... It's quite slow. She's got this very, very piano. Um, she's got these sort of weird high, breathy vocals on it. Um, and the the piano sort of flows around for, for six minutes, building to this big conclusion. But the lyrics... Are really quite fragmented, and there's not like you're not getting full sentences. You're getting. I think she did bits. really well in like portraying and showing how uh, how the feeling of being obsolete is. Like I think she showed that you can hear it in the music. You can just feel that that's what it's about. Hmm. I just wish that I liked it more than I do. It's sort of yeah. With those vocals, it's kind of pained. Maybe mm. you just get the sense that. That's how she feels. It's good. But I think uh, maybe you're expecting slightly more of a song that's six and a half minutes. It's something you're investing quite a lot of time in. You think maybe the longest song might be some kind of centrepiece on the album, but I don't think it is that. Mm. 
think it doesn't maybe, feel too long, but it. I think maybe she was just trying to make a point, really, with the length, about being obsolete, like that. Whole what do you think it means to be obsolete as a person? Pointless, I guess. Like that's how a person feels. No like, longer needed. Yeah. So if you feel obsolete, and a song is obsolete, if you're thinking about it in that sense, mm-hmm. then I think she was. I think six minutes is a kind of entrance, int- interesting length. Like she chose it for a reason. She yeah. didn't just make it that length. Oh, certainly. I'm sure she she knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah. But it's not um it's not the centerpiece of the album. I think as as one might think for the longest song. Mm-hmm. Um, and then track ten, the penultimate one, Sellers of Flowers. Penult- what? Penultimate means second last. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Sellers of Flowers, which is also quite good. Um, it's got a sort of almost spoken opening. Yeah, there were parts in this that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of morbid, um, this one. Uh-huh. It does feel like you get a sense that winter and the chill of winter is coming. Yeah. Gifts, what is the, there's a, the lyric about winter? Winter is coming. But it's about, you know, winter has has won or something over flowers which are dying and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I guess, about death and it does feel very morbid. It's also, about life coming the, to an end. The line about her holding her dad's hand, that really, like, stuck out to me. Right. Hmm. So just the feeling of winter and the chill of winter and, like, the music, because it's, it's really beautiful and it's really sweet and... But... It doesn't make you look forward to winter, I don't think. It kind of casts winter in a quite a scary light. I like winter. I like it enough. It's, it's good season. It's a bit cold for me. It's got Christmas really. in it. Okay, and then the final track, The Visit. See, to be honest, this one felt like it should be called obsolete. I didn't like it. I didn't love it. It was alright. But, but like, you th- you'd expect more of the last song, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think it, like... So it started with a bang should have ended with some sort of a bang yeah and it's it just ended another piano one piano's kind of her, her main instrument yeah. as well as voice I thought um, it was beautiful but it's got a nice little violins it's quite subtle coming violins in. are in almost all of the yeah. yeah the songs and I think that was really important for this album like there are violins everywhere yeah it's nice I tried to look up who sort of produced it and things but I couldn't um, couldn't find it anywhere but yeah very violin-y which is something she hasn't necessarily done quite to this extent. I think that's albums. why I noticed it because they were in like almost or every song. Yeah, but it's got a nice little chorus, but it's not quite the ending that maybe one might have hoped. But overall, I think it's a pretty good album. Overall, really. it is a good album. It's, the she, weak points are still pretty high. She knows more than almost anyone in the world how to put together an excellent song. She can yeah. write lyrics. I would love to meet her. Like, I I'd love to meet her. Yeah, she always seems really nice. I've seen her live. So I was, I, see, I want to see her live as well. But I was looking for like questions for our interviews and stuff, and one of the questions was, "Who would you like to do a duet with, dead or alive?" And obviously, there are so many people like you could do a duet with who are dead. But I was just thinking, right, let's choose someone who's alive. And I would have to say, it would either be Regina or Sia. That'd be cool. I would. Yeah. Or what would you sing with Regina Spector? Oh, I don't know. Probably one of her songs, I think. You know, it's only polite. Yeah, it's nice. So, what uh, if you had to give this album a score out of ten? Let's say, what would you give it? I think I'd give it an eight. But if we were just judging songs, like 
in order of out of all these songs mm. which one would be at the top for me it's Trapper on the Furrier yes yeah. number 7 I think I might say the best song is The Light but the Trapper on the Furrier maybe comes in a close second also Older and Taller and, and Bleeding Heart actually <laughs> now that I'm looking at the tracks there's, there's quite a lot there <laughs> I think um, if I were to rate it out of 10 I might give it a 7 I'd be, I guess, a strong 7 though 7.5 maybe um, it's got its weak tracks it's got its weaknesses kind of peters out towards the end yeah. but some marvellous songs in there the, the lyrics as usual for Juno Spectre are, are excellent she's, so she's, smart. One, she's one of my favourite artists whenever people ask me what are your favourite artists yeah. she always features in like the top sort of 10 5 even 5 like when everyone asks me who's your favourite like where'd you get your inspiration Regina and Sia and probably other people too but those are the two that are always on top of my head and if you tell me like I can put on music it's most likely going to be Regina so we, we <laughs> highly recommend Regina Spectre this album Remember Us to Life um, if, I, if I had to say to someone you know, what, what Regina Spectre album you should start with I'd probably say Soviet Kitsch but it's maybe not I don't know maybe it isn't the best one to start with because it's a little different from her from her later work I don't think it matters what one you start with but Remember Us Life is a perfectly good one mm-hmm. it's a great album yeah go listen we enjoy that go listen we well, don't have to listen but if you do you probably won't be disappointed mm-hmm. so we now come to our, our penultimate segment um it's the one where we're did you gonna, say this earlier this yeah, word that, that is why I said it again oh. I mean second last I'm just trying to reinforce it so that it becomes a word that you can use in your vocabulary it's a, a weapon on your arsenal my arsenal a know, weapon I, I my think arsenal. the first time I, I heard the word penultimate was you know the Lemony Snicket series of books you're getting off topic here the last one was called penultimate the penultimate peril no it wasn't the last one so it was the second last one twelve that was the first time I heard that word. Okay, what are we talking about? We're on the penultimate segment, which oh. is Choice Cuts. It's a segment where we do every week where one host recommends a piece of art to the other one and the other one has to go away and consume it in whichever way is appropriate and then report back on it. Um, <laughs> and after last week where I was tasked with watching Stranger Things, the new Netflix programme, uh, and I had a pretty good experience with it. It's good. Who didn't have a pretty good experience with it? It's now, it's now Aaron's turn. <laughs> um, and I've recommended to her what I think is possibly the shiniest jewel in the crown of British comedy. Um, it is the peerless 70s, 80s sitcom, Faulty Towers. Let's play the theme. <laughs> I actually really like the theme. Have you seen Chiller Park Boys? No. It reminds me of like just ever so right. slightly. The the theme of what is the name of that? Like, I think it's like a Channel Four program where people go and stay in hotels and then it's like a come down moving for hotels. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah. about. I know what you're talking about. They very much ripped off the Forty Third soundtrack. I don't know why you would want to to rip off the soundtrack of what is an awful hotel. It would be a terrible place to stay. <laughs> I know, but it'd be so much fun going there. So I can't believe you'd never you'd never seen Forty Towers. I suppose it's not really your generation, but it's not my generation <laughs> either. Okay, um, what did you? No. What did you? What did you think of it? Well, 
it always been kind of like around me because my mum loves it mm. and my stepdad loves it so they, they would talk about it all the time but I would just go over my head but I'm so glad I watched it I'm so glad I know what it is <laughs> and even now that I know what it is like all the wee references that people say on the TV about Faulty Towers I yeah. get it is something that does seem to transcend the age you know I started watching it when I was maybe about 10 um, and I, I fell in love with it I love my little sister started watching it you know she's she's 11 now she maybe started watching it when she was 8 or 9 uh, and she thinks it's hilarious um, I think it's hilarious I, I don't think it's anything that's ever made me laugh more than Fawlty Towers have and I remember watching it when I was a little little kid when I was like 4 and uh-huh. thinking it was hilarious try to think of something that's made me laugh more than this <laughs> but it's not a competition but I think it does make you laugh quite a lot yeah um, I think I, I think it's really good so can you, can you give a bit of a summary of what the show is for anyone that isn't familiar with it? Well, basically, it's this hotel called Folly Towers. We should give you a clue into how badly or great it's <laughs> yeah, run. Yeah, that, that's not an accident. I don't and think it's run by Basil and Sybil Faulty. Mm-hmm. And um, they have these people who help Polly. I don't know if she has a second name. Polly, well, if she does, it doesn't matter. Polly, Polly is and the maid. Manuel. Manuel is the the waiter. Yes. yes. And the, and the second series has Terry, the yeah. chef. Oh yeah. Well, um, yeah. And the, it's it's each episode. There are only twelve episodes, and they've they've been given quite a lot of credit for knowing sort of when to stop. You know, they could have gone on to make, as they do in America, twelve seasons or something of twenty four episodes. But they they said well, you know two two seasons of of excellent work. We're going to stop there. Um, so it seems like not a lot, but it just means they're just very very consistent I think it's enough but they could have done a lot more and it would have been funny and it could have got better because Basil as a character is completely insane Yeah. so whatever situation you put him in it would have been funny I think yeah there was was definitely scope for more but I'm glad that they did stop and I'm glad that it didn't have to to dip in quality um Basil, yeah, is a, a wonderful character. I always find it's sort of odd with Basil because he's such a, an awful person. But I do feel myself <laughs> on his side of feeling sorry for him. I know, it's so funny. Like, he does such um, random, sometimes terrible things. And then when he gets in trouble, you feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. When really, you should be getting in trouble. <laughs> I think you sort of feel bad for him because he's not the most powerful character, which is quite interesting. Uh, we'll probably come to it, but in terms of like British comedy, how the, the protagonist tends to be someone quite low status, whereas compared to American comedy, they're kind of quite cool and stuff. But Basil is so deathly afraid of Sybil. Um, <laughs> I think that's <laughs> I do funny. kind of feel sorry for him. He's, most of the the plots are driven by the fact that he's trying to hide things from Sybil. That he's so scared of what she's going to do, that he's going to have to to feel feel the wrath of Sybil. What? There's one. There's one. Um, there's one uh, line I can't remember what episode it is but that kind of tells that quite clearly um, she says that uh, you know if I find out what you've done Basil you know what I'll do to which Basil replies you'll have to sew them back on first which kind of sums up their their marriage um, and their relationship is really quite key to, to the show well I've only seen nine out of the twelve episodes uh-huh. and um, obviously I'm missing out on those three and I will go and watch them I just didn't have the time but even those nine, like, they're just so brilliant. And they get into who the characters are so quickly. Yeah, definitely. And then um, you don't feel 
like you don't know any of them obviously when you first start you don't really know the relationship between all the characters but it's given to you so quickly so I think you can jump in at any point in the series really it's not something you need to watch from the start because it's all episodic you know they're all self-contained half hour Mm -hmm. Episodes, um, and the one that I uh, you went and watched the whole series, but the one that I told you to watch specifically mm-hmm. was episode six of series one, the Germans, yes, which I think is the greatest half hour of comedy that has ever been written. I can't think of anything mm-hmm. that is better than that. It's just so amazingly written and plotted, and it's so funny. It is. It's so funny, but also at the same time, it's just so random what happens to lead to yeah. when the Germans finally come into it. But the way it builds is just brilliant. I've watched like interviews with John Cleese and stuff, and he said that, you know, what he wanted to do when he was making Forty Towers was to make people laugh, and he thought that farce was the way to do that because it sort of builds. You, you know, you kind of build the audience and, and laughter all the way along, rather than going, you know, joke, 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 joke. It sort of, it's it comes to sort of more than the sum of its parts. You sort of snowball the laughter until it comes uproarious when the when the Germans arrive. But there are so many points in that scene, uh, in that show, that episode, where you can go, oh, that was a hilarious bit. Oh, but also, it's also got this But It's kind of amazing how they managed to pack all that into to half an hour. I thought overall, the nine episodes I've watched, they're all so funny for like different reasons and all the characters are great. But the only thing that I can... Well, not the only thing. Like, obviously, there will be other criticisms in there. But the biggest thing for me, and I don't know if this is just because I have a short temper or not, was because I just get so frustrated yeah. to the point where, where someone would laugh, I would just be so annoyed that I couldn't laugh. So that was my only you thing. You did just sort of want to jump in there and, and help out. I think that may be something to do with, with why it's so funny. Though. Like, in farce, I guess the audience are always placed in a position of knowing more than the characters. Mm-hmm. The, the, the audience know what's going on and think, oh, I could probably solve this because I, I, I've been able to see the, the whole picture, but you have to watch Basil struggle like an ant under a, under a magnifying glass. And there it's, that's quite funny. I do wonder whether, you know, we talked about how it, it kind of transcends age. I wonder whether it transcends... Um, nation as well you know it's something it's, it's quite British I just wonder whether it would work as well in America it, I think it would like I know you're saying it's like British and I understand that but I don't think they have any like slang in there to make it confusing no um, there is certainly uh, other than things like slang though, British comedy does have a different kind of character to, to American comedy I think the, the humour is a lot can be a lot more self-deprecating, a lot more dry, um, and the characters, as I said before, in American sitcoms, are generally quite cool and stuff. Like if you look at Friends, I love Friends. Compared to something like Forty Towers, like the characters, Forty Towers quite sort of pitiable. Um, but I think because it's you know a farce, it transcends age. I think anyone could watch it mm-hmm. and find it funny. But the kind of main obsession that kind of runs throughout the show through Basil is this. Um, preoccupation with class yeah Basil's sort of obsessed with class and is obsessed with with you know social mobility and, and, and keep staying in his class uh, his middle class status or perhaps improving on that you know the first episode is when this Lord Melbury comes into comes into the hotel and Basil's yeah. obsessed with, with pleasing him that's what I was surprised at, especially like see the first episode it's not like you're starting you're coming in when they're just starting 
the hotel. Mm-hmm. Like it's already a thing, already a so running, you can just yeah. jump in. And you could jump into anyone though. Exactly, like, it could be in any order. I know, but that's what I'm saying. That's what makes it good. Yeah, that you're just jumping in at a certain point. You're not just starting where they were starting. That might be something to do with sort of the longevity of the show. How it's still loved. You know, they could stick it on the telly and you can tune into any episode. Yeah, and still, still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I just wonder whether that class thing has stopped it being such a success in America, which has a less. Not that it doesn't have a class system, but it's not the, the class isn't so embedded into American society. I don't think this is all a joke about the the Oxford Don who meets one of his old students who's working on a on a PhD, and he says, "What are you what are you doing your PhD on?" He says, uh, "But the the class system in America and how it persists." And the Oxford Don says, "Oh, I didn't know America had a class system." And the the student says, "Well, that's how it persists." Um, so America, it does have a sort of a less overt you just confused me obsession with with class no because you're saying like America doesn't have class but I've just read Gatsby and just done it for my man's hire uh, yeah so I'm just thinking like no I'm saying it does have a class system class, but you just said it was but, uh, no no it does have a class system I think confused. but Amer- in, in Britain the awareness of class has kind of always been with us the, you know the awareness of, of being you know, lower class or middle class or, or even upper class. But in America, you know, you hear about the American dream and things like that. There's still this illusion of meritocracy where there's the belief that anyone can, by working hard, improve their social class. That that um that society the position in society is sort of based on merit. Whereas that has been less the case in Britain. So I don't know whether that has something to do with with how it's been sort of less successful in America. They've tried to sort of move over. There have been um, like adaptations of it that have been done in America with an American cast. Um, but it's never quite it's never quite taken off in the way it has here. But just to go back to what you were saying uh, about the sort of how you felt frustrated when you were watching it, I think that's something that anyone can experience can experience when watching it. Yeah, I think like um Everyone probably feels it a little bit. Yeah. And they probably feel a bit stupid for feeling it. But you just can't, I don't know, you can't, I don't you just can't get rid of... Like, obviously, um, obviously, it's funny. And you can appreciate it's funny. And you're still laughing at these funny bits. But there's just this like underlying frustration. It's like a real frustration. Yeah. You're so angry. And um, I don't think that's that uncommon. Like I haven't heard it so much for 40 Towers. But when people talk about things like The Office... Um, or the Curb Your Enthusiasm things like that which is comedy based on sort of cringiness mm. a lot of people just can't stomach watching that because it makes them feel so uncomfortable I guess that's kind of similar to what you're describing I guess um, but so see the first episode of series 2 communication problems communication yes. problems Mrs Richards the death as funny as that one is and I think it's really funny that is the one where it made me really angry yeah like really really frustrated like the other ones frustrated me a little bit and this one is where I had to like pause it at certain bits just to like calm down because I was just like it's so annoying like the guest I need a break yeah. when I pay for a view I expect something more interesting than that that is torquey madam no, it's not good enough <laughs> well may I ask what you were expecting to see out of a torquey hotel bedroom window <laughs> Sydney Opera House, perhaps? The hanging gardens of Babylon? Herds of wildebeest sweeping majestically? I expect to be able to see the sea. You can see the sea. It's over there between the land and the sky. I 
need a telescope to see that. Well, may I suggest that you consider moving to a hotel closer to the sea? Or preferably in it. That's an excellent episode. It is really... It is really good. All of the episodes that I've seen, plus the three at the end, which are probably just as good, if not better. Well, The Kipper and the Corpse is the next one that you used to come on to. It's when someone dies in the hotel. And Stop it's, spoiling. It's very good. Well, that's not, that is the, the premise of the episode. Okay. And then Basil the Rat is the last one, where there's a rat in the hotel. Mm. Um, just basically vehicles for, for Basil to, to sort of simmer and, simmer and eventually explode. I also enjoy the fact that... Um, you know how at the start when they're playing the theme and it's like the sign yes. and then it just like changes flowery <laughs> actually I don't know if we can say that we probably just beat that out uh, flowery yeah. what, what are the other ones farty towels and things yeah just funny yeah. stupid things like that like that's a laugh in itself just like a little one to start you off because that's the start of the episode so it's just kind of yeah. like smart they like tease you in uh, well like Junkley said you know he's, he was setting out in order to make people laugh and what they did with these episodes which is quite o- quite out of the ordinary they spent six weeks on each episode um, which is a really really long time you know you might spend a writer might spend you know ten days mm-hmm. um, writing an episode but they were six weeks per episode and it was like three four weeks get the plot right and then they would start writing the script so, which probably it yeah explains why it's it just is, so tight it's really really yeah. good and smart and everything works well and there's not well that I've seen any plot holes no, oh, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't say so. Any. It's just yeah. Everything is tied with a nice wee bow, so it all works out. So uh, a good review then. Yes, watch Towers. it. Everyone watch it. Everyone, everyone watch it. What Thanks. was? Could you recommend a particular episode? I know why that. I would suggest the Germans. I did enjoy the Germans, and as annoyed as communication problems made me, probably that one for yeah. me. That's excellent. Pro- probably that one. So uh, out of ten, then for Faulty Towers. Ten? Yeah. Well, we ten? did stars last week, didn't we? Well, oh, ten. Ten. I'll ten. Give you ten. Ten out of ten. ten. I would agree with that. I yeah. think it is. I think it's really good. Sitcom. Plus, I can't find any bad things other than making me really annoyed. No. But I think that was. There are a few episodes that I think are slightly weaker, but the 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 high bar is so so high that yeah. I don't think it's ever quite been reached. I actually just watched a film with John Cleese in it that you should watch. It's called Spud. It's really weird. It's about this okay. guy. I haven't heard of that. It is. It's really weird. It's about this boy who um, is going into boarding school and he lives in South Africa. It's just really weird. There are, it's, um, is it quite new? No. Well, 2010. Okay. And there are three movies and um, me and my sister stumbled on it yesterday. And so we watched the first one and we were like, that was so random because there are, it was, I think it's set in like the 70s or the 80s, late 80s, something like that. Right. In South um, Africa? Uh-huh. Okay. so there are like some really random just there was a racist comment and it was only one racist comment but it was so random you just weren't yeah. expecting it it was just like what's happening and there are a lot of things that just you it must be a true story you know like that way it's so random that it must be based on a true story but there are three movies and I've, I've, heard of that. I've watched the first two we'll look it up it, Spud yes okay and he's uh, John Cleese is the drunk teacher right well um, it's finally time to to bring on our, our guest on this week's show she's yes. been sitting patiently uh, with a cold and trying her best not to sneeze and I think you'll agree she's done a marvellous job why is it always our um, sound people always seem to have a cold <laughs> yeah Max had a cold in the first episode doing this uh, 
I don't know. It's lucky that she's not doing too much talking, but you, you're just going to have to try and push through uh, for the next 15 minutes. Hopefully your singing voice is okay. Please welcome our first guest on the Quite Useless podcast, singer-songwriter Courtney Mackin. Hey, Courtney. Hi. How are you doing? How are you feeling? How's the cold? Well, you know, good. I'm so awkward, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Um, Don't worry, we're worse. Is this your first first interview? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, we're glad. I Delighted to be your first. <laughs> it was... Uh, I, thought you did, <laughs> I thought you did one with uh, Glasgow Youth Arts. Hub. Well, that was just a questionnaire. That was written, yeah. Um, it's your first audio interview. Well, you know me, and you've pr- you've been asked questions before, haven't you? Yeah. We'll try not to be too scary. Erin's uh, in charge of the, the main questions. Yes. So. Um, a bit breathless. <laughs> but yeah, we're we're just going to talk about your your career and um, okay. yourself. I think your best place to answer. Those. We'd like to know you and about what you do. Raming gets you there. I don't know. Go and help me. <laughs> Wait, well, let's just get into the question. Um, so first of all, just how are you? How's your day been? We know you're at college. How is that? Um, yeah, my day's been pretty good. Pretty tiring. Not had that much sleep, but you know, getting getting through. Um, college was good. What do you do at college? Music. Do you like it? Yeah, I really like it. I think it's good studying something that you really like doing because then it doesn't really seem like a chore or anything. It's yeah. like something you want to do. So. Do you think that what you're doing in college is beneficial to like what you're doing in music, like outside your own stuff? Um, yeah, um, it's taught me how to record things. Yeah, that's very helpful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it teaches you like the business side and obviously degree is pretty hard, but mm. getting there. <laughs> so what are you doing then outside of, of college? What does your sort of musical practice look like? Um, I, I always try and write a wee song, get a wee song in there, um, but um, and I always try and get gigs. I feel like that's really important. Because um, then you can hear feedback on your own music and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also just practicing. I feel like that's that's also important. To start up there with gigs, practicing and gigging. Um. So, you're talking about like writing. Do you have any like specific things that influence you, like artists, uh, genres, like subject matter of any kind, stuff like that? Um. It's probably mostly subject matter that um inspires me um, just if I've had a hard day or something like that I just always find it's just best to write a song about it Do you have any like recurring themes in your songs? Um, I have this thing about time like I think that time's really important because obviously like we're just human we don't have a lot of it mm. um, so I always try and make the most I was reading your uh, interview with the Glasgow Youth Hearts Hub um, and you mentioned that how sort of time comes up a lot in your work uh, and it reminded me of the song Have You Heard Time by Pink Floyd? No. Oh, I was going to send you it. But we could play a bit of it now, actually. Yeah, um, play it. This is, this is, okay, this is Time by Pink Floyd from the album Dark Side of the Moon. So I think that's really interesting with what you're talking about, um, like 
it's all about time and, and time passing um, and I think it gives a really thoughtful philosophical um, approach to that but that's interesting that's quite a that's quite a big topic yeah. uh, for you to be writing songs about yeah that's that's why there's so many songs that I've written about it but um, yeah because it just worries me like what well, if I don't have enough time to do everything that I want to do See, that's mm-hmm. something that interests yeah. me. Like, time buzz, like, kind of the other side of time, like the butterfly effect side of time. Yeah. Like, how time works in that way. Yeah. yeah. I always often find myself wondering, like, if you think about what is the most important thing that's happened in your life. I think that was a question I was listening on the radio the other day, and someone was asked that. And I yeah. thought, how do you pick one thing? Because obviously, even tiny things affect everything in your life. They change it completely. Yeah. What about mm. you, Courtney? What's the <laughs> biggest thing that's happened in your life? Oh, probably. Discovering love for music. Ah. Uh, yeah. um, what about you, Aaron? Biggest thing that's happened in my life probably being born. Yeah. Uh, you can't yeah. argue with that. It's a big thing. <laughs> <laughs> Picking up a guitar, I guess. Um. So, and uh, do you get nervous, like when you perform? I've been at a couple of your gigs, and um, you seem quite nervous, but you always hold it in, and you always perform really well. So. How do you handle like your nerves and stuff like that? Um, I always try and turn nerves into excitement because um, it's sort of like fight or flight. So, mm-hmm. so I have to fight the nerves with the fact that you're going to enjoy it when you're yeah. performing. Do you do you have a process for converting nerves into into excitement? Because I'd like to I'd like to use it if you do. <laughs> um, I, I, this is going to sound really bad, but it's just like telling yourself that everything's going to be good and everyone's <laughs> going to love it, even if even if you know. Like that, something's like a gamble. Like a song's a gamble. People mm. might not like it. Um, you're just better just telling yourself, no, everyone's gonna love it. It's gonna be fine. My my other question is kind of like that. Is um, so some people like I kind of have one, but some people before they perform, like they have like a process they go through, like a thing they'll do to get ready to perform. Do you have anything like that at all? Um, I was trying like silently vocal warm up like just like try and relax like all the muscles that you use when you're singing and just even like in college they teach us vocal warm ups that aren't really that loud because like I don't want to do like a loud one and like make everyone look at me or anything mm-hmm. so um, I just do a little quiet one so that I know that everything will be fine when I'm up there. Do you have a specific song that you use for sound checks? Um, whatever my favourite one in the set is. I'll just use that for soundcheck. What is your favourite then? Of all the songs that you've written, do you have one that you can pick out as your, your favourite? Um, it's all. It's always most recent ones. Um, one I really like, which I will be playing today, um, is Runaway. That's also sort of about the concept of time. Um, and The Boy Who Waited, just because, I don't know, I just, I just really like that one just now. Would you define yourself in any way? Would you like put yourself into a certain genre of music, or like say that you were like another kind of artist or anything like that? Um, I'd probably say that the genre that most suits the kind of music I do is acoustic pop stuff. Mm. Um, that's mostly um the the I don't know. I just use like the common pop song structure for writing songs. Um, but the Artists I'd say I'm most like probably just female singer songwriters like Nina Nisbet, Gabrielle Aplin, people like that. I just I just really love them. But yeah. Who do you sort of listen to the most? Is it those songwriters or um, who are you really into? I actually, it's totally not songwriters. Um, 
that I listen to the most, I probably listen to Catfish and the Bottlemen the most. Okay, yeah, I've never yeah. listened to their work, but I know who they are, yeah. But I really like them. I'm going to see them in November. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're like my favourite band at the moment. Do you have a favourite song at the moment that you just listen to over and over and over? Um, I always like Hourglass. I can't really seem to get fed up of it. Is like, it by them? Um, yeah. Um, just because... It's, it's just about missing someone. I feel like it's like so, like the lyrics are just so, I don't know, genuine. But that's, that's my favourite. So you were saying that you use like the basic uh, pop structure for like writing songs. Have you got any other like processes or things you'll do when writing? Um, usually I'll be out and about and then I'll think of something. I'll be like, oh, I should write a song about that. Um, and then I'll just put it in my notes on my phone and then if I'm just strumming away on guitar I'll be like, oh wait, this sounds quite good for a song so I'll bring up whatever subject matter it was try and think of a few lyrics for it Do you tend to, to start with music and then go to the lyrics or does it vary? Um, it varies but I'll mostly start with um, just playing guitar because it's cause if you do that then it's easier to hum a melody over it right. which sort of suits the chords um, What I was going to say was um, do you find uh, do you find your best songs come from really working and putting a lot of effort into writing a song, or your best songs come from an immediate idea that just kind of like pours out of you? Um, definitely, um, one that pours out of you. Mm. I just feel like that's sort of the most genuine kind of songs. Sorry. <coughs> <coughs> just as long as you're okay to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Where is it that you want to go with like your music? Is there anything like you'd specifically want to do is there any kind of a uh, thing that you would do um i think it'd be really cool to tour like i'd like to be a performing artist and go on tour in places and just um hear what people in different places think of um, my music but also um I'd, I'd really like to write songs for other people mm. um just because i think that'd be fun wait, wait a song sing. for me <laughs> <laughs> i'll be your first uh, <coughs> buyer of a song <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else to add, Jordan? I was just going to say, um, where if people want to listen to music, where can they get it? Um, I've got a few little college pro. Sorry. <laughs> <coughs> um, I've got a few little college projects that are up on YouTube. Um, you can also go on my Facebook page and see live videos of me performing. Um, but yeah. Courtney Merkin yep, on Facebook right. you can, can you type that into YouTube um, yeah and that should come up cool right we're just going to ask you a couple of okay. fun stupid questions just to get to know you before we hear you sing so the first one Jordan's going to ask because I can't see the word oh, oh yes 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 it's the one we asked there earlier if you were in Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children what would your peculiarity be um Probably to be able to play. I'm, I'm going to cough again. So <laughs> That's okay. Where did Maybe to be go? healed, to yeah, heal yourself. That's a good really one. by touch. <laughs> to be a healer. To be never not well. That'd be pretty useful. That would be to fun. Be by touch. I'd li- I'm like a real hypochondriac as well. So it'd be oh really no, good. Sorry, I've been coughing this <laughs> No, it's okay. I can deal with cold. <laughs> but it'd be great to have you to be able to heal me, even if just the anxiety. <laughs> oh. Yeah, imagine like people who are like healers could also just like heal like mental things as well yeah. Yeah. like that's what Jesus did that's why he was so really? popular 
Jesus, remember, he could heal everyone, all the lepers turned up at his door. Yeah. Maybe, he heal but could he heal, like, mental things too? Probably. Maybe he was yeah, a peculiar. Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. The Lord. Good, we're getting into theology <laughs> now, we've got you this podcast. So what would your peculiarity be? Um, the getting, no, well, sorry, the not getting old one is probably a good one, but um, I'd like to be able to play, oh, I'm going to cough again, <clears throat> sorry, um, I'd like to be able to play um, like every instrument, like just off the back of my hand, just pick one up. Be That'd be so good. Yeah. Yeah. Like that would you would just you would impress so many people. Yeah. <laughs> Our last question is, and we've googled this, and there are some weird color names <laughs> in the crayon box. But <laughs> what um, color do you think you would be, and why? If you were a crayon. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Definitely mint green because it's probably the colour that I wear the most and It's the nice it's a nice ice cream colour. Yeah. And it's just like a nice bright colour. Yeah. Yeah. Pastely. It's a friendly Summer. green, isn't it? Yeah. You don't want like a yucky lurid green. Yeah. No. Like a nice mint. Not a fan of that. What about you, Jordan? What colour would you be? Well, uh I don't know. I, but I was looking up in, in advance of this question, the colours <laughs> on, on, on Crayola on Wikipedia. And there's some bizarre ones. Alien armpit was one. Um, my my favourite when I was a kid was always Periwinkle. That was the crayon I was drawn most to. Maybe a, I don't know that I'd be Periwinkle. What colour is that? Purple. It's a sort of yeah pale lilac. I think I'd nice. probably be me. Like I think it depends. Like when you ask people, like what colour would they be? It depends. Like what day? Like because if you would have asked me a different day, I probably would have felt like a colour, like a blue colour or a green. I feel pretty purple today, periwinkle. Mm, okay. Go for that. So I think I think we've learned a lot about Courtney. The mint green Courtney. Um are you do you want to get set up and ready to perform? Um, yeah. Okay, and while you're doing that, we'll just wrap things up. That's it for the, the second episode of the Quite Useless Podcast. I've had a good time. Have I've you? had a good time. Yeah. There's so much speaking going on, I'm forgetting how to do it. But yeah, I think we're we're trying, we're kind of getting a feel for it. I think we're it's going to keep improving as we get used to the format and stuff. Yeah, it's going to get better. Next week, we've got, we're, well, we've not 100% decided what we're talking about, but we've got some good things lined up for next week. Yeah, it depends thing. what's happening. Um, but... Our next guest uh, will be Wendy Wolfson, um, who's a storyteller and counsellor and is uh, facilitating this new project that's happening uh, in Glasgow on the 26th and 27th of October, called Out of Harm. And it's about uh, enabling young people to tell their stories about self-harm and things like that. And it's a sort of multi-art form project. So we're going to speak to, to Wendy about that. So we'll look forward to that yep. next week. Um, but... Um, but, um, but if, you, um, if you've got any feedback sure. about this show or want to tell us anything, if there's something that you've seen that you would like to tell us about, and maybe we'll talk about it in the podcast. You can reach us on the website, quiteuseless.co.uk, Facebook at the Quite Useless Podcast, Twitter, Quite Useless Pod, or Instagram. You've talked to me. If you talk. <laughs> yep, Erin runs on Instagram. But sometimes Jordan will chime in and uh, he'll rewrite posts that I write she could just correcting grammar and things making things capitals you know just tidy, tidy things up just housekeeping you know. basically he's my my maid <laughs> anything else to say um no just uh you can also email us at uh, hello at quite useless dot co dot uk um but, but yeah. thank you for listening thank to us listening. Um, ramble on <laughs> about some fun stuff and we're going to leave you this week with a uh, live performance from Courtney Mackin.
This is an original song I wrote and it's called The Boy Who Waited. Um, so here it goes. There are towns messing about, don't care who sees cause no one's around her heels. Click on the cobblestones as Jack is hung over her cold shoulders. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. 